Welcome to He That Hath Ears, Listen Podcast. My name is Dave Krupa, a Christian and student of the Bible. Each episode, I will share lessons I learned from God's Word to help on the Christian journey in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time exploring the Bible with me today. Now, let's listen. Recently, I was talking with a brother in Christ when he mentioned the term of spiritual idolatry. I must confess, it's a term I've heard often and thought I had an understanding of. Until my wife asked me to explain it and the difference between idolatry and spiritual idolatry. Alas, I didn't do a very good job. Epic failure. So I decided to find out for myself by looking into God's Word and building upon my own knowledge of the term I've heard so many times and obviously didn't have a handle on. Let's first look at idolatry. Exactly what is it? According to Easton's Bible Dictionary, idolatry is image worship or divine honor paid to any created object. That seems simple enough. Looking back at the Old Testament, it's pretty simple to see examples of idolatry, where men made things, images, statues, whatever, and worshipped them. The first example may very well be of Rachel stealing her father's relics of worship to other gods in Genesis 31 and 19. During the Egyptian captivity, The Hebrews fell in idolatrous habits, which resulted in the golden calf being made while Moses was actually receiving the law. Speaking of which, in the first two commandments, God deals with idolatry. Turn your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. Why would God outlaw such a thing? We are told in Exodus 20, and again in Exodus 34 verse 14, that God, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. What is God jealous of? It certainly could not be that we as mortals can do anything that He could not. Perhaps... He is jealous of our hearts, in that He wants us to realize who He is and have our utmost focus on Him. This may have been good for Adam and Eve to realize in the garden. These commandments on idolatry were so important that the practice of idolatry carried stiff penalties. The individual offender, once he was convicted, was devoted to destruction, Exodus 22 and 20. His nearest relatives were not only bound to denounce him and deliver him up to punishment, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 2 through 10, but their hands were to actually strike the first blow when, on the evidence of two witnesses at least, he was stoned, Deuteronomy 17, verses 2 to 7. To attempt to seduce others to false worship was a criminal offense of equal consequence. 
and idolatrous nations shared the same fate. No facts are more strongly declared in the Old Testament than that of the extermination of the Canaanites was the punishment due to their idolatry. Exodus 34, 15-16 Deuteronomy chapter 7 Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 29-31 through 31, and Deuteronomy 20, verse 17 A city guilty of idolatry was looked upon as a cancer. It was actually considered to be in rebellion and treated according to the laws of war. Its inhabitants and all their cattle were put to death. Therefore, to an Israelite, idolatry was considered high treason. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. On taking possession of the land, the Jews were commanded to destroy all traces of every kind of the existing idolatry of the Canaanites. Again, Exodus chapter 23, Deuteronomy chapter 7. After the Babylonian captivity, idolatry in its traditional form, for the most part, seems to be control for the Israelites. However, remember what Jesus said about where sin originates. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Matthew 15 and 11 In other words, our thoughts lead to words and actions that end up in sin. When you stop to think about it, images, statues, trees, golden calves, Whatever one chooses to worship all starts with our thoughts and then proceeds from our mouth. In the few verses preceding, Jesus quoted Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the precepts of men. Matthew chapter 15 verses 8 and 9. Jesus was directing these statements towards the religious leaders of the time. In fact, he often used them as examples of what not to do. These religious leaders were not making images or building statues or creating totem poles to be worshipped, but rather they were putting man's thoughts in place of what God has said, thus a new form of idolatry, spiritual idolatry. Remember the definition? Divine honor paid to any created object? These leaders were creating precepts, the object, in spite of what God had said and expecting people to be bound by them. This new idolatry was a form that was constantly hindering Paul during his missionary work. We can see a glimpse of his battle against this in 2 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11. Apparently, there were these eminent super-apostles, chapter 11, verse 5, following Paul in his efforts in establishing new churches. They were treating Paul's testimony of Christ as an insufficient representation of Christianity. These eminent, also translated false, apostles were impressing the members of the church at Corinth with their eloquent speech and the knowledge of Greek culture. We can see this pointed out in Paul's defense in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
verses 9 through 11. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. Notice also what Paul states is the subject of this war in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5. to For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He's not fighting against idolatry in the traditional sense, but rather against spiritual idolatry, thoughts created by man that disregard what God has said. That clues us in on how idolatry works today. There are those who have designed a so-called better form of Christianity. They are not content with what God has revealed already through His Holy Word. They must add to it, enhance it, innovate upon it. And if a church does not measure up through their grandiose idea of Christianity, they will use the tactic told to the young preacher Timothy. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 to 6. But I am afraid that, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. And if you drop down to verse 12, But what I am doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as the angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. The tone of Paul's letter to this congregation is a clear indication that the congregation was being lured away by these super-apostle imposters. 
Though they may have been saying spiritual-sounding things, the message and intent was rooted in worldly ideas. That is why Paul's statement is so powerful. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. If you will, turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. A very short verse, but very powerful. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. What idols is John referring to? As mentioned earlier, the traditional form of idolatry was long hated and watched for, and the idolatry introduced by the Church of Rome, angels, heroes, souls of departed saints, and all that stuff, hadn't existed yet. So what idols is John writing to Christians about? The same Paul was writing to the Church of Corinth about. Whatever takes our heart from God, or shares it with God, is an idol. Whatever we seek happiness in, independent of God, is an idol. Even our created thoughts. We know from Paul that Satan will try to deceive us by pretending to be an angel of the light. But how does he go about doing that exactly? I believe John gave us the answer in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Lust of the flesh. What comes to mind when I think of this is the gluttonous behavior, you know, the extreme stuff. Too much to eat, too much to drink, too much playing, not enough working, those kind of things. Consider the thought of something much more subtle. Suppose a businessman works countless years saving for retirement. Upon retirement, he buys that tropical retirement home. During retirement, he works on spending time with his spouse that was much ignored during his working years and enjoying his new surroundings. They're taking it easy, focusing on enjoying the rest of his life. And all of this focus leaves no time for God. Has he not committed spiritual idolatry? Lust of the eyes. This is seeking happiness and gratifying the imagination, chiefly by means of the eyes. This is gratified by such objects that are grand or beautiful or even uncommon. A new car, a diamond ring, that bigger, nicer home the finest wardrobe, collection of arts, the list can go on. Here's the problem with all of these things. Once one possesses the item that satisfies the lust of the eye, it is short-lived. I remember the first time I saw the Grand Canyon. It literally took my breath away. Consider if you woke every morning to the view of the Grand Canyon. Not so spectacular after a while. And so it is with the lust of the eye. There will always be 
what's next mentality, and pretty soon the pursuit of those things replaces God. Spiritual idolatry. The pride of life. Usually we take this to mean a pompous attitude. But could it mean more than that? Could it mean we seek the happiness that comes from receiving praises of men? I heard a preacher one time state that he would rather not hear his listeners tell him great lesson. He was trying to avoid happiness in the praise of men. He would, however, rather hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, from God himself. So how do we go about avoiding spiritual idolatry? The whole time I was studying this subject, three thoughts kept coming to my mind. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It begins with and ends with focusing on our relationship with God and His beloved Son, Jesus, through the Word of God the Bible. Don't add to it, and don't take anything away from it. It is indeed the full armor of God. I confess, I am no expert in the understanding of spiritual idolatry, or even regular idolatry for that matter. I am merely a Christian trying his best to please his Lord and Savior by studying his word and growing in the knowledge of Jesus. I encourage you to do the same. Don't take my word for it. Check out the Bible yourself, just as the Bereans did. Thanks for listening. W. Clement Stone wrote, That which you share multiplies, that which you withhold diminishes. If you found this podcast enjoyable, share the link with someone.